You're not tired. You're always bubbly. Yeah, I'm not very tired. A, it's because she does yoga every morning. Yep. And I carry sweet orange essential oil in my purse. Yeah. Maybe so, a little lift me up. It's great. So do you want to introduce yourself, Allison? Sure. My name is Allison Bourne, and I am a Salesforce solution architect. And I work primarily in higher education and healthcare. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you've done some of the healthcare events. Yes. Higher ed. So like, what, what are the highlights for you? Like, what, what did you see that was most interesting? Uh, I think in the healthcare space, I think the development of the healthcare partner program, they've really focused on getting the right partners in the space and supporting the partners from an ISV perspective to deliver the right solutions and to um, not just take Salesforce and promote it, but also take integration, thinking about EMR systems, EHR systems, uh, thinking about compliance, so bringing partners in that can actually certify your solutions as compliant. Um, and then I think the health cloud is actually really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. It's uh, the platform with service cloud. Um, so it's, I think it's a, a well-designed solution from what I've seen so far. Look, looking forward to getting in more and playing around with it. So have they, have they officially kind of made it available? Is it a pilot? Is it... It's not fully available yet. I also don't know the pricing model. Um, I did not ask that specifically, but they haven't really advertised it yet. It's supposed to be in um, February is when it's going to be more widely available, probably in a beta format or with a few initial customers. Yeah. So if you distill down what this health cloud is, it seems like it's communities, right? There's a strong community aspect, right? Yeah, there's, there's not necessarily a community's build-out uh, as part of it, but it leverages, because it leverages the platform and service cloud, the community's portion is, is easily deployable. So. And then the, um, the EMR integration. Yes. That's a big part. And MuleSoft has decided to step up and, and be the partner for that. I guess, that's, I guess you could say they decided to step up. I, I was reading about that. And, I don't know if Salesforce. It's, I don't know if they just kind of punted on that, or if they just thought, let's just let a one of our partners who that's what they do is integration. Like we're going to let them solve that problem. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like it's. I don't know if it's a not an officially part of the health cloud, or, or it's just the the story is, if you want to integrate with EMRs, talk to MuleSoft. Yes. I yes. think that. I mean, that's such a variable market. It's not like it's. A, I mean, there are standard interfaces to it, but I think it's 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 something that. You have to have that skill set in. There's um, compliance, there's regulation, there's all that kind of stuff to keep up with, and it just makes sense. Because MuleSoft does have a really big component in that. They have compliance. I think they have certifications and things around their products. So I think it was just a faster way to get to market and meet that need. Yeah, probably so. And I mean, if, you know, if they're going to solve, if they're going to do these integrations, obviously once they do them for the, the initial implementations, you know, they've got the expertise. They they probably you know set up like integration templates that when a new customer goes on that you know just exactly ready to go yeah um, so did, did you touch on or get into kind of who their target is for this I think that it seemed like a lot of the ca the use cases that were being shown are more hospital networks and um, ba back-end care in the sense of putting the patient first so um, records basically reducing the importance of records, increasing the importance of relationships. 
So building a uh, patient's timeline, I thought that was really cool. I look forward mm -hmm. to seeing that more as how you can view a timeline of, of a patient's activity and actions and alerts and things like that over the course of um, their care. Uh, so I think that's really where they're, they're more focused is uh, providing the, the care in the background. There's also some great palliative care and, and hospice care uh, situations that were, that were described and have seen to be very successful. One of the statistics that I love, which I thought was very uh, exciting and I think everybody needs to really think about this in the healthcare space, is 78% of millennials expect that their healthcare is managed via a mobile app on their phone. So I think that's probably the next wave of it, is bringing this to the patient and have it be patient-facing, not just for wearables and preventative care, but for actual um, diagnostics and, and more long-term care that we're going to need. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this is something that's also accessible to the smaller providers, you know, a smaller doctor's office or a smaller network of, of providers. But I'm not really sure because the, the reference customers they showed were large, yes. fairly large. Yeah. Um, also, neither of them have actually used the health cloud yet. They're, they're using, um, if you dig into it, they're using Salesforce, and a lot of them have pieced together, kind of built their own similar solution. But I, get, I think they're interested in looking at what this the health cloud is and if it's gonna if it if it suits them. But yeah. So, yeah. it'll be interesting to see you know once once some people start using it what what's really there. It's just on these pre-announcements and pre-releases where there's really nothing to see yet. It's so hard. It's it's you know it's hard to tell if it's you know great demo where and, and whatever. But what's really going to be there? But I mean the the idea makes sense. And there's you know with, when you look at the economy and how much of our money is spent on healthcare. It's, it's an obvious vertical to go into. Definitely, and I, I really enjoyed the uh, healthcare partner session yesterday. I thought that the team is, was very honest, very interested, and excited to hear all the different cases that were, that were currently happening and where people were deploying. And, and it's a small enough vertical, I think, right now, at least at Salesforce, that you can get some of that individualized attention. Cool, so what about um, like higher ed? Yeah, higher ed's uh, very interesting and exciting because there's so much more there's so much more emphasis on that space than there has been in the past. I think the foundation has done a fantastic job of uh, really getting out there and exposing Salesforce to the higher ed space, and they are very focused in one way on Advancement Connect, which is. Uh, the platform that's focused on alumni relationship management, fundraising, uh, and you know more the development side and advancement side for colleges. I think there's still a gap in the uh, prospecting and admission space, but the thing that I saw a lot that they started to draw together is more of the marketing automation, specifically pushing Pardot across. I've seen so many Pardot demos and um, sessions and everything across Dreamforce this year and I think that's great because there's a lot of middle market schools that are bound right now by the cost, the high cost of um, higher ed technology and I think getting in through the foundation and, and having those resources available is going to be very beneficial to them. Yeah, so. and it, It's interesting because you know Salesforce markets really to all, all types of companies, all sizes, all different types of organizations so they can afford to with their foundation right um, have you know lowered license fees and things for for nonprofits for education because that's that's not their sole source of revenue. Whereas some of these solutions that are from you know these companies that, that are offered by companies that they're only focused on you know higher ed for example, that's all their revenue. That's where they've got to make all their money. So 
hopefully it will be available to you know these smaller you know, community colleges, things like that. Definitely, yeah. And I think that um, with those schools, helping them understand the, the shared cost of technology and how they can diversify, how they can leverage the, the minimal resources that they do have and, and not necessarily have to start from scratch and custom build something, I think will be really critical. So great clients are here. There's one, I mean, there's wonderful customers on the higher ed side. Uh, the account executive team, I think, is just rocking it. They're, they're really cool people. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what's part of that. And I, I look forward to also being being involved in that and hopefully uh, um, really helping these small to mid-market schools build out something great. So. Yeah. So in, in those in the kind of education space, I think I think you touched on some of the internal kind of management of managing that relationship. What about like portal or communities type, type of stuff? Yeah. So there's a really cool product that um, is actually available for free. It's supposed to be available for free. And Cornell University, I believe, was uh, the first uh, use case to build it. But it's it's more of an open source. Uh, type of model for communities so you can deploy this package of of student communities it's very mm -hmm. service and information and collaboration based and then customize it from there so it's not necessarily you're paying for licenses or something like that but it's a, a solution that the foundation's putting out there and I think that the community's licensing itself is a great place to start for students but I think the lack of templates and, and customization that is possible around that without doing a lot of development work is the next wave. That's kind of what I think Salesforce needs, needs to tackle next. So I'm excited to look at this product specifically and see how it fits in, what the data model they're using looks like and all of that. But I think it's a good place to start and I think it's definitely necessary. I'm curious about the data model. Are they sticking with person accounts or are they kind of leveraging just the account contact relationship? Um, I've seen both. I'm assuming that that particular solution is account contact because Advancement Connect uses account contact. But this is definitely an ongoing debate. I was excited to um, hear Parker Harris talk about how they are going to be improving person accounts even more and there's going to be uh, more functionality over the next couple releases. So, um, but you know, it, it's it's a person accounts is a controversial subject as we talked about yeah. in the last time. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's a necessary thing, but yeah, can, can create issues. Well, what what other highlights? So, you know, this is the last day, right? So, yep. But I have things I want to talk about. I want, I want to talk about this dance thing you did. <laughs> um, Daybreaker? Daybreaker. On Tuesday morning. <laughs> this is not a Salesforce solicited event in any way, nor, nor was it sponsored. But uh, there's a couple organizations that um, have created this new concept of early morning dance parties. Uh -huh. So sober dance parties where you can just be yourself, dress up in costume, hang out with your friends do a couple hours of dancing and some yoga before you go to work in the morning. And this and is costume? Yeah, so it was um, the post-burn uh, event, which is basically the group that from San Francisco, um, Camp Charlie, one of the mm -hmm. Burning Man camps. They sponsor this um, at after Dreamforce every year. And on Tuesday morning, I went with a couple people, uh, a couple clients and, and friends that were here. Uh, it so you got started clients at 7 to go into this too. Yes, it was wow. very you fun. You have some adventurous clients. <laughs> we do, we do. It's very fun. Um, when you work with people for, you know, three plus years and 
they're around your same age and you know they have they're just a great great organization so yeah. they were very excited uh, on one of our conference calls before Dreamforce I actually mentioned it and I said hey is anyone interested in going to this with me and the admin said uh, she's like I just bought my ticket <laughs> so <laughs> it was really fun it was in Soma um, at an arts complex and just really amazing event lots of good energy to start off the week so, yeah yeah and then you were also one of those people that skipped bacon in, in place of a, a run. Yes. How'd that yes. go? Um, so I didn't do the Dreamforce Oh, you didn't do the Dreamforce run. one. Yes. But you but did go for your run. I did run, and I did practice yoga. I think that um, from this is my fifth Dreamforce. So I have definitely learned to step away, you know, practice a little mindfulness. Meditated in Yerba Buena at one point, which was great. Uh, but... It, yeah, I think it's it's definitely necessary. You can get very overwhelmed, and your brain can only consume so much. So, it's kind of got to get away when you feel the need to do that, and then come back refreshed. So, you you did a mindfulness thing today, right? Yes. So, yes. so what was that like? It was wonderful. It was uh, three hours, uh, lots of different speakers, all talking about um, mindfulness, compassion, and how we need to take those ideals and we need to first of all practice them ourselves but understand that that's going to make us more successful more profitable um, better people we can be better leaders we can influence other people so you know there was donna karen was there um is, that, is that the fashion person yes okay I, yes i'm not up on fashion yeah, but so the, <laughs> D, the dk logo is that that's her okay. yes yes so it was just great lots of different speakers um and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and it was just a nice end to Dreamforce and I was hoping the room would be more filled than it was, but hopefully people will, will watch some of those clips online because I do think it's very important. So is, is mindfulness, is that just being more like intentionally conscious about what's going on, you know, within you, it, you know, outside of you, around you, things that you're influencing, things that are influencing you, like I'm just making stuff up, but is that... <laughs> Well, you did a very good job making stuff up. So, <laughs> yes, it's just more, it's awareness. It's, um, it's bringing mindfulness to everything that you do, you say, and, and how you work, how you live, how you interact with people, and just understanding how uh, you're impacting the world, pretty much. Um, so I, I try to incorporate that into day-to-day -day work and I think that over the past five years it's, it's helped because it just takes a lot of stress out of everything you know yeah. it's more of a um, bohemian type of model or an attitude that you know you there's only so much you can control and you can plan things out to death and you can you know force a lot of things on other people and on your teams and on yourself and that's not good for anybody so taking a step back and just making sure that you understand what's important and you are focusing on the right things in life if everybody did that together on a team i think that's what drives success yeah so, so how do you how do you balance mindfulness with like over self-censoring or you know instead of just living in the moment and doing what seems right like overthinking things or is that even is that a know? thing yeah is that a thing I, <laughs> yeah i, mean, I overthink I think, well, everything you know i mean i don't know i think i feel like sometimes i you know over self-censor it's like a problem. Mm. Well, I think if you practice mindfulness, the more you practice it and you don't have to, one of the points today was you don't have to spend 10,000 hours in 10 years, you know, meditating at a, you know, some sort of Buddhist center in the mountains or in the Himalayas to be mindful. Right. Um, but I think the more that you just practice it, even if it's just basic. So, um, 
I like to cook, for example, that's very meditative for me. So even if I'm not meditating and sitting how you would normally think about sitting, that's still meditative. As long as you practice that, you're going to find that you're more aware of your surroundings at work, at home, and you're able to just handle things better. And you're, you're speaking and you're living your truth more. So, yeah. So I have a question. Yep. You were at Dreamforce last year? Yes. Okay. And John, you, you didn't go to Dreamforce last year, but you followed most, most of the news and watched some, some sessions and things, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Was there anything that was that you noticed this year was is just not present or fell to the background that was you know big in previous years? Is that a question to both of us? Yeah, because hmm. there's one thing that I that I noticed. And I, well, you I start then. If, okay, you go. I just didn't want to you know lead the witness. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I felt last year it was so everything was marketing. It was so it was over the top. And I felt that, yes, there was that this year, but I felt also a sense of we're past that, right? Now we're going to actually talk about what's meaningful and what we're doing. And, you know, we have, yes, we have these new product releases and things like that. And we have these new clouds and we have all of this, but it, it felt, and maybe this is also how I've approached it or the things that I went to, but it felt a lot more communal versus sales, if that, if that helps. So the last time you attended, did you did you also kind of do these same kind of activities, or is this your first time kind of doing all this? I, the, the last years I've done almost I've done as much as I possibly could have, and I think the one thing that's hard still though is that uh, they've reduced the length of sessions, mm -hmm. and they have uh, increased the number of sessions. So I don't think the sessions, the technical sessions, are as quality anymore. So I've kind of skipped those, especially being a consultant. Sometimes I go in and I say. Well, this is really targeted for somebody that doesn't know anything or a new admin or something like that. So I have definitely adjusted what I do mm -hmm. and how I approach Dreamforce, which I think there is a very there's a way you can build your own strategic plan for how you attend Dreamforce. Right. Um, but I think that that is one thing that they could work on a little bit is just the length of, of the sessions and you know understanding that. But um, yeah, overall. Yeah, I, I remember Jeremy commenting on that because when we we're trying to build our schedule, some were 20 minutes, some were you know 30 minutes, and and then you're they're overlapping. There's so many overlap that it's easy to kind of back mm -hmm. yourself in a corner. You're not sure which ones to take, which one's important. Um, and there was a lot of them this year. Yeah, what, I mean, what was the number like? 1,200, 1,500 no, sessions. No, like 2,200, I think. Yeah. yeah, including keynotes and right. what have you. But I think as a consultant, it's also more difficult for us uh, because. As a customer, you're like, well, this is my industry, and this is what I do, so I'm going to focus on this. But for us, it's like we want to learn everything because we actually have to know it all. So I think that sometimes you can just throw your hands in the air and say, I'm not going to do it all. I'm just going to wait until all the videos are online and hopefully get some time to watch some of them. But I think that the relationships, and because we're such a remote workforce, is, is one of the best so reasons that, to come to Dreamforce. I was just thinking that, you know, you have to balance attending sessions and keynotes versus, you know, meeting people and building and extending relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably, I mean, if you think about, you know, the cost to come to Dreamforce, even just for one person, and, you know, considering that you're, you're either losing revenue or you're losing the value um, to your employer for that week, I mean, it's probably on the order of like, I would say 10 grand a person, probably something like that, including expenses and everything. And so, when you think about it in those terms, uh, understanding that you want to get the most value out of it as possible, 
I start thinking about things like, well, these sessions I think are almost all available online, right? So yep. if you're not if you're not planning to either to participate in the session actively or ask questions, then maybe you should maybe you should skip those sessions, watch them online later, and instead spend that time, you know, meeting people or or meeting up with people that you know you want to again like continue a relationship with or or get inter introductions to other people. I mean, I think I did it. You know, looking back to this week, I think I did a bad job of like you know not meeting enough PMs and and people that I knew I wanted to meet. I just didn't. I didn't make it. Um, I wish I would have spent less time in sessions. Some of, I mean, some of them were, were great. It's not that they're not good. Um, you do have to make sure that you're attending sessions that are you know kind of at your level. They're, mm -hmm. they're going to be interesting to you. Because um, that's I think a, a mistake that's easy to make. But um, yeah, it's to me the when I think about what's how am I going to get the most value out of this. It's uh, it's definitely on the you know relationship side and networking. Mm -hmm. um, so but, I, but everyone's here for different reasons, so you know I think people would have different answers to that question. And this was your first first Dreamforce. Yep. So what's your biggest takeaway from this? Um, what just did you the, learn about yourself learn? or oh, about um, Salesforce or about Dreamforce? I think Dreamforce. Um, I'm, I think the biggest thing I learned is that they need to do this in Vegas. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're literally talking about next year, yeah. they're going to try to have two boats. And it's like, that is the world trying to tell you that this is not the place for a you know 200,000 person conference when you have to line the docks with ocean liners. You know, Yeah, um, yeah San, it's, it's, just, it's outgrown San Francisco. It, they, re they really struggle to make it work and, and there's just really not the infrastructure here. I mean, when hotel rooms are a thousand bucks a night, and you know the Ubers are all four or five x, you know surge. I mean, it's just there's not the infrastructure here for this big of a conference. And it's you know it's like one of those things you're a victim of your success. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a good problem to have, yep. but it's yeah. a problem that I think needs to be solved. And you know, I mean, Mark has said publicly that that you know he he you know he loves San Francisco and this he has no intention of moving it. And I, I get it. I mean, I understand why. I mean, this you know Salesforce's identity is all wrapped up in this culture in San Francisco, and he loves this city, and he's you know he's got such a symbiotic relationship with the city, um, and he you know and the city benefits hugely, even though it's in, I think it's too big for San Francisco. I mean, last year I think the number I saw was that it brought in two hundred twenty-six million dollars in San Francisco in wow. a week, right? Wow. So yeah. it, it benefits the local economy for sure, but um, I don't know. Well, and, and there's the ideas of splitting up Dreamforce into smaller mm -hmm. conferences, but I, 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 def, I can't see Mark doing that either. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, you know, he likes this annual, and there's a lot to be said for it. I mean, it's just the sheer size of it is, it makes a statement about where Salesforce is, where cloud computing is, and it's, you know, I don't think he wants to sacrifice that. Yeah. Um, honestly, 50% of the reason I come to Dreamforce is because it's in San Francisco, because I love the city, so yeah. any any excuse I have to come yeah, well, is and wonderful. I, and we came; the group of us um, came like three days early, and it was just it's just a, a really great place to be. I do think it's you know it's a little big. There's definitely sessions I really wanted to see that couldn't even get into, even though I was enrolled. So that was a little frustrating. But um, yeah, I, I Dreamfest was insane. Yeah, it was yeah. Wild. In, a, in a good way, right? Yes, okay. yes, it was. You know, you walk in and you're like, wow, this is huge. And then you realize there's nine other stages and areas and, and there's just tons of food and drinks. And just it was such a neat setting because it was all of those um, kind of rundown old warehouses, but just kind of brought to life. And the killers were, were amazing. They and killed. So it was, they killed. <laughs> they totally killed. So Gary Clark Jr. was great. That's good. I'm glad yeah. you got to see him. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
it was it was uh, very. I think they ran it as well as they possibly could have with the amount of people that were there. So. And that I, that actually makes me think of another thought I have on Dreamforce, which is even though it's it's you know it's um, I think it's it's a very, it's a big struggle to squeeze this big of an event into this area. Uh, they do, I will have to say, an amazing job. Yes, I mean, I, I, when I think about the number of people that have to be involved in this and just the amount of planning and execution it takes to pull off this event that's spread across, you know, what, a, a square mile at least, and probably, probably a, several square miles, yeah. um, just this campus of different facilities. And when you think about, you know, just, just, just having Wi-Fi that works for 150,000 people, um, yep. the, the food and just all the logistics, it's... It's really, uh, it's hard to, it, it boggles the mind, right? It yeah. does. And, they, and it's, I mean, they did a really good job. Even, the, even the, the support staff, like the volunteers or people that are, you know, that are just temporary. I mean, they're all very, well, like they're all very knowledgeable. You can ask them for just about anything, which is great. And so they the seem, they they seem even, happy to help, don't yeah, they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, it is, a, it is, I think it's amazing what they, they're able to do, so... A couple years ago, they took all of the old banners from technology conferences and created bags and purses and stuff that they were giving away, and that was really exciting. So I loved that because there's, there is honestly a lot of waste at a conference like this. So the more that they can do things like that and, and share the resources that are actually um, built for a conference like this, the better that I think you know, there'll be success, you know, success long-term, year over year and things like that. So I would like to see them bring back the bicycles that you can charge your phone with. Those were really fun. So they had, I didn't see, I didn't know about that. It was like, uh, four, three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. So they had all these bicycles and they had all different plugs for your phone. You can stick your phone on them and you just ride and it tells you what your output is and power and then it charges your phone and it was really fun. So were they stationary? Yes. Okay. Yes. They were just all in the, in the Dreamforce Plaza. So. Yeah, I, I vote for that for next year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like I met my walking quota. <laughs> yeah, I've been getting, I think, about 15000 a day. Yeah. Oh, um, but I've been, I've been doing a lot of walking, almost intentionally. Uh, I like to walk. Are, are so. we going to compare numbers? Maybe. <laughs> what, what was your highest? Do you know? Uh, 22000 yeah. yeah. That was the morning I started with the dance party, though. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the expo that day as well. So. <laughs> All right, so I want to go back to the what, what, um, what seems to have faded into the background, because I had a specific okay. thing in mind, which is chatter. Interesting. I, I don't know I if they. I don't know if Chatter has hit you know escape velocity now, so they don't have to promote it as much. It's just it's working. It's it's permeated all parts of the platform communities and you know whatever. I mean all, all these different areas, and so it just doesn't need as much love. I mean obviously they're they're improving it, right? So there's the recent announcements where the, you know, edits edit posts and rich text, um, rich text, yeah, rich yeah. text, which I think is a bad idea. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that, about I mean, what yeah. kind of post you'll start to see. I mean, it, it just... And from a developer perspective, what do you think about that? I mean, I, how much harder is it to work with rich text to bring data? It's really not because the platform will probably provide, you know, components that, that render okay. the rich text. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, think of the discussion forums that you see that allow, you know, these signature lines that are this long with pink italicized, you know, 48-point <laughs> font. Yeah. This is, this is not good. I mean, there's but, a reason that Twitter and Facebook don't allow... Really, any of these any of these social network communication tools, mm -hmm. they, they don't allow rich text. And that, just, that's the fear. But I, I don't know that any I don't know I don't know that anybody's got that much time on their hands. They're going to sit there and you know, oh, yes, they do. personalize <laughs> their chatter post right before they do it. Oh, it, maybe for an announcement type type situation because yeah. you know we do see chatter being used for a lot of just kind of internal communication, broadcast messages, you know, from the CEO or someone else in the company. 
And they do want that to be formatted. They do want that to have a little more oomph to it, to emphasize mm-hmm. certain things. So I see it being valuable for that. I, want, I hope. I want to... I'm, I want to be. You're saying. You're saying the. I want to think yeah. on the positive side yeah. that you know users aren't going to sit there and go, "Oh, I'm going to put that in pretty pink comic sans." Do we exactly. know the security around that? Like, could you turn it off for I don't know. users? I hope so. Maybe you could turn it off for users. Maybe you could turn it off or on by group. Or, or there's by, a quota. Yeah. You can only do so much <laughs> custom fonts and colors, you know, in a day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think either of those are going to happen, and I'm. I'm it, just let it be there. Yeah. But yeah, so it, but you know, I don't think there were any mentions of chatter in. In the keynotes, that in the in the major keynotes, but it was it was there. It was there in the demos when you were doing something. You know, when someone's showing something, there's there's chatter, or someone clicks mm-hmm. over to the collaboration tab if they're demoing Lightning. It's there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just kind of gotten. It's become part of the platform. It's prevalent. Everyone knows about it. There's not. A, there's plenty of other things to kind of focus on and talk about. So. Yeah. I think it's also just a baseline requirement in any enterprise platform now. So, right. if you don't have that, you're you know, you're you're already so far behind that maybe that's just not why the there's focus on it. Yeah. So. Anything else that you felt like just was kind of underrepresented, aside from developers? <laughs> yeah, in the keynote. <laughs> this is a very yeah, declarative yeah. heavy. Uh, yes. Well, I think that it's always that way, right? Yeah. Because I mean, we have the not we have the big to you guys, we have right? the big dev zone here, and we have you know a lot of vendors coming in here, and and even the the campfire sessions were really great, especially if they had the product team on it. Um, that was really valuable, but you know, as far as you know, getting a shot out in the okay, keynote or anything right. like that, you know. So, so the dev zone is still it's it's one of the biggest areas, right? It's still big, but it's you know half of it half of the floor is basically advertisements, right? So, kind of count those out. You have s- several theaters which which are good for these developer related topics, but like you like you just mentioned, getting a lot of crackling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the keynote, there you know, admins got a shout out. MVPs got you know multiple shout outs from from Mark Benioff. Up, nothing for developers, right? Which is not a big deal. It's just it it's just interesting. It's just a, a little data point. Um, but when you combine that with the the way that Sales, uh, Salesforce is really pr- pushing or positioning, you know, pretty much all their clouds as um, you don't need you don't need you know, custom code. You can do all these things without, which is which is great, right? You can do all these things without, you know, you, you know, without developers. You know, you know, don't do any custom code or whatever. I, it's honestly an interesting, and it, you know, I'm not concerned because there's always going to, going to be situations that yeah. require just, you know, programming and, and custom code and more more advanced solutions. Um, but it is. It's. I think it's somewhat of a message to to people who are you know like that they're that are developers. That's their that is their thing. Um, and I don't know if it's you know maybe you should start looking at more of the Heroku style, like you know, building applications that would deploy to Heroku, whether it's you know, Node apps or Rails or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That maybe that's an area that you should be looking at more. That's where you're going to have more opportunity, and that's where the developer action is going to be when it comes to the Salesforce platform. You're always going to have to write some apex, right? You're always going to have to have triggers, um, but even but even these types of things are being replaced by other tools like the like process, process builder. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to go to go to where the demand is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Me? I don't know. Whoever. What's I your think, perspective on that? I think that what's probably going to happen is what we talked about we've talked about in the past all of us is the developers that are the 
middle of the road. You know, I build triggers. I build a simple Visual Force page. I can do some, you know, Visual Force email templates. Those types of uh, developers are either going to become app builders and more admin or advanced admins, or they're going to be more in the UX space. And I think that's where things are are moving because things have to be customer facing. And I think there's going to be um, more need for technical architects now yeah. versus people that are just admins that can just set things up and some basic development. We really need technical architects. And that's what I see as a big issue is that we need more people that can say, all right, I want this type of this, I need this external database, but it has to connect in this way. And then I need um, you know, this front end um, system and I need a, some sort of user management. Well, what type of licensing should we get, et cetera. Somebody that can really piece together the technical infrastructure of a solution. And I think that's really where the split will happen. I mean, you, so there's two, two interesting points you just made. One of them was around, I think, user experience. So, you know, if, if, if you can solve your problem by dragging some components onto some, you know, lightning screen, great, right? But if, if the problem that you're trying to solve is not, can't be solved by pre-existing components, or if you don't, if you're going for a custom style and you don't want the lightning experience, the lightning design system, then that's when you're talking about, you know, custom UI, right? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, it, Lightning it, is, is an opportunity for us to kind of collaborate even more because now we can create these smaller components, and you know, it's not like we're it's not you have a solution you need something custom and it's it's tossed over the fence because it's Visual Force and there's no customizing it, there's no putting it anywhere except for creating a tab. But now we can create these smaller components of functionality, and now we're we're much we're collaborating much more. Admins are able to kind of put that where it's needed, not just you know in the context of a tab, but on sidebars in the mobile app. That's a good point um, so, because you do need developers to create these custom components. Yes. Yeah. And also, you know, creating custom components is, is actually hard. Like and really about, you know, because we've lived through so many different waves of reusable components, right, John? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to figure out, like, what, I don't know if it's like the level of abstraction or, or just what the scope of a component should be. How big should it be? How much should a component do? Because you need it to be something that can be dropped in and connected to existing things. So if the scope, if you, if you oversize the scope, then it won't be as reusable. If you undersize the scope, then it's more uh, difficult to, you know, you have to piece more things together, and you're, it gets you know, more complicated, right? So, so that's still that's still difficult. That's it's hard. You know, you have to spend time and kind of know what's going on to make that decision, and then, yeah. but then, and you have to build it, right? And this is, you know, even though JavaScript is kind of a toy language, it's it's become like the most important language of applications and of the web nowadays. And and there's a million ways to do JavaScript wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Um, and the, there was there was some some pretty great sessions dedicated to that. You know, the, and they, these they were touted as advanced um, kind of sessions, but they were more kind of these are the pitfalls you're going to face with this. These are the things that we've seen gone really wrong with JavaScript when you're trying to include all these different frameworks because now you have that ability, you have that access, and how it can collide. Um, we talked about this. Our concerns with Lightning components was the fact that you were going to have all these different components on there competing for resources. Um, and that still is a very, a very big concern. There's, there's no yep. line of separation there. It's all being loaded. It's all you know, fighting for the same resources. So we all have to kind of be very efficient about what we're doing. That's a really good point. And that's, <clears throat> I think, kind of goes back into what you talked about. With, you got you to have TAs, right? Or, mm -hmm. or, and that, I think that's a loaded term. It means different things to different people. But basically, you know, a really experienced developer who 
when when you have a, a big set of problems or you're looking at, at a kind of almost at an organization level, like we're gonna we're gonna over the next two years we're gonna be doing all these different things in different phases, you really have to have someone that understands all these different technologies and these tools that are available, including the draggy droppy stuff and the coding stuff and the lightning stuff and components and external services and, and Heroku style things. You gotta understand all that so that you know how to put a solution together that's going to solve the problems you're working on right now, but also it's going to scale as you go into future phases over the, over the course mm -hmm. of months and years. Yep. Yeah. And you'll still have limits. I mean, exactly. That's, right. That's a and big everything, thing. Everything that's has limits issue. and you're always trying, you yeah. know, you're, you're figuring out how do we solve these problems within yeah. the context of, of limits that are, and they're, you know, they're always changing and they're different on different systems and some of them mm -hmm. you can buy your way out of them, some of them you can't. Yeah. So, so I have a question, not, I mean, it's going to change the subject, but not to change the subject. It's fine. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Analytics is kind of a big thing right now. There's a whole floor dedicated to it. Um, I see that for business. How do you feel about analytics for kind of the health and education markets? Oh, it's huge. I think it's huge. huge. Uh, one of the big, specifically in, in education, one of the big issues right now in forecasting specifically on the platform is that it's not numbers forecasting, it's dollar forecasting. Well, the landscape of education, specifically higher education, is changing so much. So if you think about um, Linda, for example, online you can go take any class you want to, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're not going to get an accreditation, but you can pretty much become an expert at anything that you choose by not even attending college. And the traditional four-year college degrees are, are quickly being... Uh, Fit, not phased out necessarily, but they're being challenged with other yes. types of programs. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And uh, I think that because that space is was is a little bit far behind as far as technology, as far as analytics, as far as how do we continue to recruit, but not just recruit, but also retain those students. They really need to understand where their students are coming from, what their turnover, like their conversion rates are, how long are students staying, you know, what are their numbers, what are their quotas that they need to, to reach in number of students, in number of types of students, demographically, um, internationally, that's huge. I mean, being able to, that's where the money comes from. In a public institution, it's not the state school, it's not the students that live in state where they're making their money, it's the international kids. They, that's where the money comes from. So um, I think it's very, very critical. And right now, I think it's uh, usually it's data warehouse, very legacy data warehouse right. driven, custom reports, crystal reports, et cetera. And I think it can be huge. Um, I think WAVE could actually change uh, the landscape for a lot of higher ed institutions. I think in healthcare, being able to bring that data and understand it more to bring it to the forefront for the patients and the physicians, I think is, is very critical. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different mindset, though, because you're not trying to deal with numbers or dollars or revenue. You're, 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 yeah. it's, a, it's a whole different level. I mean, you've got demographics, you've got people, you've got emotions. Yes. <laughs> I mean, when we talk yes. about healthcare, I mean, we've, we've got all those different variables and different factors to account for. Uh, it, it's a big problem to understand. It, it's, it's more, I think to me, it's more than just dragging a chart and showing a, a thing. There, there's got to be some intent behind it to show some valuable information. And I think there's so much data that goes completely unused. Right. We, yeah, every year we generate 90% of the world's data in the past year. You know, that's the, the thing, right? That's the theme. But there's so much of it that just goes unused. And uh, one of the talks I saw was like 1% of data that's collected is actually utilized for something. So I think that we have so much at our fingertips, but we don't, we haven't built the tools yet to really understand right. all that information from different angles. 
So. Yeah. And a lot, you know, a lot of these higher ed institutions, I think they have existing investments in, you know, analytics and and, you know, visualization and all these types of things. But as Wave becomes more available and capable, uh, you know, the ability to keep, I think, all your analytics on the Salesforce platform is is a an interesting, I think, value proposition. Mm-hmm. And when it comes time to decide whether they, you know, renew their license with their existing BI vendor or they just stay all on platform, you know, that's I think that's where Salesforce will start to get some wins. Yeah. And I think that I think it hasn't been a big, a huge issue yet because I don't think that we're creating the jobs and the education path for people to learn about and understand big data, right? So it's it's not it's not like you have a, a huge data team that's you know, out there pulling insights like, you know, larger companies do, but these middle market organizations, whether it's healthcare, higher ed, or any industry, don't have people that are really their main focus all the time and is to understand the data and to, you know, do more predictive analytics. It's, it's, you know, that, that takes a lot of money right now. So I think that we haven't really utilized the tools because we just don't have the, we haven't built the skill sets yet to do that. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, that's one of the things that we're learning, we've learned this week is just how, especially partners, if you look at how many partners have integrated Wave into their offering, that's, I think that's one of the areas where Wave is going to get the most initial uptake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When is the, there's a, the sales analytic app um, is, is still yet to be released, but that's going to be something where I think, so I think there's going to be no platform fee and uh, kind of the whisper numbers that it's going to be about 85 bucks a user a month, which is still a big number, but it's a heck of a lot better than 225. And I think for you know power sales users or whatever, it's it's a much um, it's a much better option. And I think it's I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm assuming it comes with a lot of the stuff out of the box that's specifically for the domain of sales, sales and marketing. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what value that adds. And again, it's it's a way for a lot of organizations to get Wave that. Prior, they didn't think they would ever be able to get it. And, I mean, because when they when I, we first heard the pricing, it's just like I, I don't. I'm not sure I have any clients that yeah. this makes sense for. But it's. But I, I think our theory held true. It was just a way to kind of control usage at this point, where they kind of gauge, you know, how the system's going to perform, um, because they are starting to open it up and put it in more places. So yeah, yeah. I think it was strategic that they strategic, that it was expensive right. at first because they really didn't want a lot of uptake. You know, they mm-hmm. wanted. They're still probably working out kinks and, and figuring out scale and getting things up to scale yeah. and finding out what usage patterns were going to look like. And I think at the end of the day, too, the what's important, especially with something like Wave, is where the rest of your data comes from and how you integrate it and what does the model look like. I mean, we you know we can see these pretty fretted solutions and these great graphs and charts, but if you have data from multiple sources and they're not connected together in the right model, if you're not able to really connect an action that happens in one system to an action that happens in your e-commerce system, for example, how do you, you know, what, what does that look like at an underlying wave, right? I think that's yep. really what we don't get into at things, at conferences yeah. like Dreamforce, and I think that's the, you know, the next hurdle that I see, especially for partners um, that are looking to implement wave, is how do you build the back end so your wave, you know, front end looks pretty. All right, yeah. So. And, it's, and it's surfacing the right the right metrics and, mm-hmm. and the right intelligence. And I think as, as Wave hopefully moves from, I feel like right now it's still very visualization focused, which is, which is st- still a, a, 
good thing to be able to really slice and dice and visualize in real time massive amounts of data. It's obviously valuable, but as it hopefully moves more into, again, predictive things, statistics, um, this is another interesting you know, kind of career path that I think is going to open up in the Salesforce ecosystem. So anyone who's interested in that, you know, data science, statistics, yep. I mean, um, you know, yeah. if, if you want, mm -hmm. if, you, if you're interested in that and you've got some existing skills, great. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, get on Khan Academy. They've got, or there's probably others as well that just, there's, you know, start with statistics and, and, you know, certain kinds of math and things, and then you can move right into all the specific data science stuff. I mean, there's, that's going to be a big, um, that's going to be a big career path, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's one. I know you have a plane to catch and we're running out of time. So uh, I think we'll wrap this up. Any uh, parting words? Successful Dreamforce, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, how can people contact you or hire you or <laughs> do you have go any, to dance do, parties do you, with you? Do you want to, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. You know, anything to promote or do you have a URL or a Twitter or? I do. So I've actually just started a personal brand called the Nerdy Bohemian. Awesome. So it's nice. going to be developing <laughs> over the course of probably the next six months or so. So I'm an Instagram and um, my I'll probably convert my old Twitter handle over and, okay. and just start promoting it across across the board and then I'm on LinkedIn as well so I think we can get to that through your uh, the Good Day Sir podcast okay. page yeah, yeah. yeah. So, show notes. yeah. <laughs> well thanks for joining us again yeah, you're, our thank you. you're, you're our first repeat guest no, I feel Shell. so honored oh Shell, Shell. Yeah. So well, you're, but you're in a very special group okay well thank you I feel so honored yeah. you guys are thanks for coming on. wonderful and um, yeah today actually one of my clients sent me a message on LinkedIn and said, are you on the Good Days or podcast? I love those guys. <laughs> so it was just, That's you know, awesome. I hadn't necessarily promoted it, but he found it and, and he thinks you're, you're wonderful. And uh, so he's spreading the word as well. Great. So. Love to hear Do you that. want to take us out? I asked you last time and you, you denied my request. <laughs> so I'll make you do it again. Okay. How? And to that, I say good day, sir. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and to that, I say good day, sir. That was great.